last Sunday in the book of Ephesians, our exploration of Ephesians. And today it's the last section, the last verse, or the last part verses of the last section. And so as we enter into this last thing, and I know we have some guests, let me do a real quick summary of what's going on in this last section of the book of Ephesians. Um, Before this last section um, that Paul is writing about, before he wrote it, he'd been writing for all the book of Ephesians about the wonderful life that God intends for all of his followers. And basically it summarizes lives of transformation in Christ's likeness, filled with love, which results in unity. So that the church can be something that no one else on the planet can become. That we can be people of diversity functioning together in loving unity. That we will stand in as example of what nothing else in the world can accomplish. Politics divides, you know, sports team divides. Church is intended, Christianity through the church is intended to unify. So that the world will look at us and say, they will know we are his disciples by our what? Love one for another. That God's plan for showing, that he didn't say put on a big spectacular show Sunday morning and the world will know that I'm wonderful. No, it says love each other in a way that doesn't happen anywhere else in the world and the world will know that God is real. So Paul's been talking about that, but then Paul adds this last section where he says, yes, God has this wonderful life for his followers, but he says, but remember something, there's a very real devil out there, and he's going to try to ruin all that God has for you. He's going to try to have you live a life that's less than the best that God has for you. He's going to lie. We found this, the main ways he functions. He's going to lie to you. He's going to slander um, you to yourself and other people to you in all an attempt to undo what God wants to do. He wants to undo unity and cause disunity. He wants to cause division um, wherever he can. And that's his strategy. And if we stop right there, it's kind of sad. You go, he's got all this good stuff, but the devil, who's tougher than we are, is going to try to wreck it all. But this last section what Paul is saying is he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, you know, sure the devil will try to ruin what God intends, but we don't need to worry about that, and we don't need to give in to his destructive ways because God has provided us all that we need to stand strong in Jesus and overcome. And what we've been finding is how he describes how we stand strong in Jesus so we can overcome is what Paul calls the armor of God. And that's what this idea of the armor of God is all about. It's Paul's way of giving a visual, you know, something we can picture in our mind, a visual illustration of explaining the values and the beliefs and the truths that we need to stand upon and build our lives upon in order to stand strong when the devil turns his attention towards us. And now he always has attention towards us, but sometimes we really notice it. So today, we're going to come to the end of that whole section that Paul's saying, but here's how you can stand strong and um, here's how you can succeed. So grab your Bibles. Hopefully not the last time you'll ever open to the book of Ephesians, but for the last time in church maybe for a while, to the book of Ephesians, the very last chapter, chapter 6. And we're going to read, you're going to say, Pastor Mark, you didn't read all the way to the end. Well, the end is, end is just Paul kind of saying goodbye to some people. And so you can read that and say goodbye to him with him at another time. So let's look at Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. Now, let's, let's, start verse, let's start in verse 16, because he's talking about the armor of God. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and these last number of weeks we've been talking about all of those things mean. In verse 18, 
With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And pray on my behalf. So Paul's, Paul's saying pray for him. Pray on Paul's behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So the last thing that Paul deals with in relation to our ability to stand strong against the schemes of the devil is what? It's prayer. It's prayer. And notice what he does here. If we've been going through this, he does something different here. He doesn't compare prayer. He's not starting a new section. He's carrying on. But this time he doesn't compare prayer to some piece of Roman armor or weaponry like he had been doing for all the other topics that he dealt with. And I really think he does this on purpose and it's significant. Now someone might say, well, maybe he didn't do it because he just ran out of pieces of armor to compare it to. Well, I don't think that's it. He could have come up with a battle axe or something. He could have said prayer is like a battle axe. He doesn't do that. I think there is more to it. I think the reason that he treats prayer differently is that prayer, compared to everything else, is different. All the other things that he said, all these other things that he called armor, weapons and armor of God, all the other things are things that we could, if we wanted to, is not right, but we could do without a vibrant, connected relationship with the Lord. Think about it, some of the ones we talked about. We, we could seek a life of peace without a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Matter of fact, I was a missionary in Cambodia. And Cambodians, um, as Buddhists, they say they're trying to find a life of peace. So you could try to seek a life of peace without a connected relationship with Jesus. You could stand upon biblical truth without a connected relationship with Jesus. Matter of fact, I've heard people say, you don't even need to be a Christian to um, have the blessings of God according to the truths of God. Just follow God's ways and, and the Lord will bless you whether you're in a relationship or not. Well, there's some of that's true, but that's not God's plan. You know, so you could just apply biblical truth to your life. Um, if you don't know anything about Jesus, you know, and you could, like the one the last time we looked at, you could know the results of salvation. Say if a person's in right relation with Jesus, here are some of the results, and we looked at that a couple weeks ago. Um, you could do all of those somehow in a theological and a religious way, but without any real vibrant and connected and active life in Christ, right? We could do all that. There are many people that, that we know that, that we know they know doctrine, they know stuff about scripture, they, they, um, they know things about God, maybe they try to live great peaceful lives or whatever, but we know this about them, they don't know the Lord. So you can do it. But prayer is different. At least it should be different. Um, Christian prayer, and I mean this, Christian, you know, I wrote my notes, I wrote prayer, and I went back and I wrote Christian in front of it. Because Christian prayer is different than any other prayer. Because Christian prayer is about relationship. Christian prayer is about conversation. Christian prayer is about connection. In fact, the war that rages between us and the devil has a lot to do with keeping us from prayer. A lot to do with keeping us from the relationship that God wants to have with his, with his children. A big part of the enemy's strategy against us is to keep us occupied and distracted with even good things 
so that we never do discover the reality of a relationship with the Lord in prayer. You know what? Sure, we, we say a prayer at mealtime. You ever hear that? Oh, I said a, said a prayer. Or we say a prayer before bed. Or even this, we think, oh, we're really doing something. They said a prayer before a sporting event. You know what? That's no real danger to the enemy at all. That's no real danger to the devil. But for a child of God to experience the reality of the living Lord in prayer, that's a death blow to the enemy. He will fight with all he has to keep us from that. And so Paul wants us to know that it's prayer that allows us to function effectively in all these other ways that the armor of God has been describing. It's in prayer that they are empowered because it's in prayer where we are connected to the power which is God himself. See, because prayer isn't really an activity, in fact, it's an, it's an anti-activity. I think we could call it that. Prayer is about trusting the Lord and resting in his presence enough to stop doing and instead intentionally being aware of his risenness, being aware of his resident presence with us all the time as children of God and resting in that awareness. Prayer is about being with the Lord by eliminating activity and distractions so that we can become aware of his nearness and listen to his voice and talk to him. So prayer becomes the source of the energy that empowers everything that Paul has been describing as the armor of God. Therefore, what he does in his, in his final thoughts here is he holds prayer to the end in order to emphasize its importance, and he treats it differently. He doesn't just say, it's like this piece of armor. It's as if he says, now those are the pieces of armor, and this prayer is the source of the power of all of it. That's what he's trying to do here. Now since prayer is so important, let's see what we can learn about prayer from the Apostle Paul. And I see three things in particular that he points out. There's more, but three things in particular that he points out that I think we need to pay attention to today. And I'm I'm going to give a disclaimer up front. All three of these could be an individual sermon in themselves. I told Suzanne coming into that, I think I told Mitch too, I said, I'm kind of worried about Sunday morning. Because when I have too much stuff to cover, does anybody ever hear me talk fast? I have a tendency to talk really fast. You don't know this, but I try to talk really slow. And so I'm talking pretty slow today, right? And so I'm trying. I purposely didn't drink any coffee this morning. It's honest truth. I did not drink coffee today. I made coffee. I didn't drink it. I poured it out. I thought, here's the problem. I got a whole bunch of stuff to cover. So I'm telling you in advance, I'm just going to say them. I'm going to give an explanation of them. But understand that because you might go, well, well, explain that more. Well, that could be for another time. Or it can be for a conversation call me up and we'll get together and we'll talk. And so there's three things in this particular that I see pointed out here that in this broad view of prayer that we want to talk about today. And I want to use this as we shoulds in prayer. A lot of people in our current culture don't like the word should. Oh, I don't ever should or ought. No, there's things we should do. You should get up at night and change your baby's diaper when it cries. You should. You should show up on those two days and help paint the church. You should. Um, I'm just saying. So, these are the three shoulds. We should, according to Paul, pray at all times. We're going to explain these. 
We should pray in the Spirit, and we should pray for particular people. Pray at all times, pray in the Spirit, and pray for particular people. So let's look at this. First, we should pray at all times. What in the world can he mean by that? Does he mean that we should all quit our jobs, pull our kids out of school, ignore our life responsibilities, and stay in a perpetual prayer meeting here in our church sanctuary from now until Jesus returns? So we're praying at all times. And some people have thought that way. They have perpetual prayer meetings and they say that's what it's all about. Is that what he, and they use this scripture to talk about it. We should pray at all times. Is that what he's talking about? No. I don't think he's talking about that at all. Praying at all times is about, and you know, follow my train of thought here before you say, turn off your brain. It's about a belief or a value system for your life. It's about living our lives based upon the belief that God is really real. And he is really interested in being involved in every aspect of our lives. And based on that belief, we live our lives with a continual and a persistent desire and an intention to be aware of God's presence and engaged in his activity. Let me explain that. That's a big paragraph. It's an underlying value system that you should that you build your life upon where connection to God's presence and activity and leading are what life is. Therefore the energy and the activity to connect with him is what life is is about. It's a value system where connecting with God is not some religious activity relegated to some particular corner of your life, you know, so so I do a, a prayer on Sunday morning or I have 5 minutes of prayer on some mornings of my week. No, praying at all times, although praying on Sunday morning is good and praying for 5 minutes is good, but praying at all times is about a life where being in relationship with God is your life. It's your life as you do your job and when you go to school and when you parent your children and when you engage in recreation. And I think Jesus is speaking to this when he, when he said something in John chapter 17. Look at your Bibles in John 17 with me and I, I hope it can make a connection here. John 17 verse 3. Jesus says this. John 17 3 says, This is eternal life. That they may know you. He's talking about the Father. They may know the Father. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Look at this. Jesus describes eternal life. What's eternal life? It's the life that begins the moment a person comes into relationship with Jesus and extends forever. He describes eternal life, or sometimes he calls it real life, as knowing God. And here's the connection. Prayer is knowing God. Prayer is the avenue. Prayer is the relationship. Prayer is knowing God. Knowing in the sense of experiential relationship. That's what it's all about. So praying at all times is about intentionally living in an awareness of God's presence and interacting with Him continually um, in all things that we do, it's being aware of Him and talking inside, not necessarily outside, talking and, and, and listening and seeking His direction and being aware of Him continually in our lives. 
Now, can you see how that is essential for winning in spiritual warfare? Because remember, that's the topic that's being dealt with here. He's doing this in relationship to winning against the schemes of the devil. Can you understand how he's not saying, oh, just pray, I'll stop and pray, stop and pray, stop and pray, because we live real lives. He's talking about a life value system that is about connectivity to the Lord in all that we do, that we don't relegate things as secular and sacred, but that it's all under the umbrella of this reality of God's presence in our lives. And it's so important to spiritual warfare. Because when we are living in the reality of God's presence, well then our, our ears are open and our eyes are open and he alerts us to the enemy's schemes. We, we see the pitfalls. We, we are aware of his traps. He empowers us to be able to stand strong when the enemy's turning up the heat against us. Because, friends, in that victory becomes about his wisdom and his strength, not about our wisdom and our strength. And that's where the victory comes in. So that's what a life of continual, being in continual prayer, praying at all times, is all about. It's about a value system. It's about a lifestyle. It's about understanding what, what eternal life is. Eternal life is, I'm in a relationship now and forever. And prayer is the connectivity between me and God that I want to do my best to cultivate a lifestyle where I'm aware of that. Which means sometimes I've got I to stop some things. I've got to give some things up. I've got to slow down. I can't, fit, I can't fit something in every nook and corner of my life. We live in a crazy world. The first, gener- first society ever to celebrate over busyness. The first one in history of humanity to celebrate over busyness. It used to be something you would say you would say is a bad thing. I'm just too busy. Now people wear the badge of honor. We validate our lives by it. I would say this. You can't live a life of, of uh, praying at all times, meaning a, a continual awareness of God, or trying to be a continual awareness of God, when your life is so ridiculously busy you don't have time to, to even think. Be still and know that I am God. That's about prayer. That's about the connectivity. And so we, we can't change the world, but we can change our worlds. So Paul starts off. Paul ends this whole thing on how are you going to win against the devil? If you don't want to win against the devil, well, just ignore this. Go, don't care. If you want his attacks to be effective against you, dismiss this. But if you want to listen to the apostle, not me, you want to listen to the apostle Paul, he says part of winning the battle against the schemes of the devil is praying at all times. And I think it's a pretty good explanation of what praying at all times is about. So let's structure our lives accordingly. So we pray at all times. Let's keep moving. We pray at all times. And then secondly, Paul says that we pray in the Spirit. Pray for victory for victory against the, the enemy. We pray in the Spirit. Um, from this position of being aware of the Lord's continual presence. Remember, he's building something. We're aware of his presence based on that life we then pray in the Spirit. And I think there's two dimensions of this that we need to understand. The first dimension of praying in the Spirit has to do with Spirit-led praying. There's something that we need to come to grips with, no matter how smart you are or you think you are. Very often we don't know what's best in a situation. Right? Very often we don't know what's best. Our tendency, it's a good tendency, but it's our tendency is to generally want ourselves and others that we love to avoid pain and loss. So we generally, as a general rule, think that what is best is that the things would work out in such a way in our lives that we and others that we love avoid pain and loss. 
However, that might not always be the best. Oftentimes, people need to go through the dark night of the soul in order to grow and advance deeper in their relationship with God and just deepen and mature in life. Now, this has a lot to do with our prayer life. If we want to always avoid pain and loss, always avoid difficulty, and we want those we love to avoid difficulty and avoid pain and loss, what will we do? We will pray accordingly. Everything is for roses and rainbows. Well, here's the problem. That might not be what's best. That might not at all be God's plan and God's will for a situation. And the Apostle Paul addresses this when he wrote to the church in Rome about that we maybe don't know things as well as we think we do. In chapter 8 um, of Romans, you can turn there. We'll read a section in a minute. He said something interesting. He said, writing to Christian people, these are people who are Christians who know the Lord, who are walking with them, first century believers, you know, filled with the Spirit. He says, we do not know how to pray as we should. That's his, that's his, that's his, his comment about Christian people. We do not know how to pray as we should. In other words, on our own, we won't usually pray what's really best. So Paul says that we need, to, we need the Spirit's help. And let's look at this. Look at Romans chapter 8. We'll read verses 26 and 27. Romans 8, 26 and 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The will of God. Now think of this way. Since we don't know how or what to pray, Paul says the Holy Spirit prays. Now follow this progression. And as we are in relationship with him, trying to have a life where I, I pray always, I'm in relationship with the Holy Spirit, then he can direct us how we should pray. That's spirit-led prayer. The Holy Spirit who is praying, isn't it an amazing thing to know the Holy Spirit? Paul's saying, the Holy Spirit's praying for you right now. That Sandy right now, the Holy Spirit's praying for you and for Jeff. That the, Spirit, that, 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 the, that the Holy Spirit who is praying then can help us to know how to pray. That's what Spirit-led prayer is all about because we live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. He's praying for us and he can direct us how to pray. So Spirit-led prayer is part of this idea of praying in the Spirit. But there's another dimension of praying in the Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit actually praying through us. It's in essence in a form of what we experience today with a word of a, a, a prophetic word given to the church. Think about this. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Everybody go like this. Okay? Some of you can't do that in church, can you? Come on. You can do that in church. You're not lightning's not going to strike you. Okay? The Holy Spirit dwells in the children and children of God. Now he's also everywhere. But the Holy Spirit dwells within us, within Christian people. The Bible says we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The indwelling Spirit not only prays for us, according to Romans 8, He also wants to pray through us. And that's praying in the Spirit. That's one of the things the Apostle Paul was addressing when he wrote to the church at Corinth. There were, the, the church at Corinth, 
were what we would call today charismaniacs. They were misusing spiritual gifts by turning their public meetings into times of excessive displays of spiritual activity. And primarily what was happening, they were speaking in tongues excessively and giving prophetic words excessively. And it says in in verse 14, or chapter 14, that outsiders think you're crazy. That outsiders think you're nuts and this isn't good. And so Paul's reining them in. He doesn't say stop. He's reining them in. He's giving them guidelines. So when dealing with their excess, Paul discusses in this this conversation of dealing with their excess in the public service, he switches gears and he discusses his private prayer life. He discusses prayer in the spirit, praying with spiritual language in the text. So grab your Bibles and flip over to 1 Corinthians 14. We'll pick up. So later, go ahead and and read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, because they're, they're, they're written as one thought. Chapter 12 says, here's all the gifts of the Spirit, they're for the church. Verse 13, or chapter 13 says, but you know what, because you guys do it excessively, you've got to understand it all has to be based on love. And love says it's not about me, it's about somebody else. So love says, I'm not going to exercise my right to exercise a gift in a public manner that is going to be offensive or distracting or um, negative towards a person, especially who's a seeker trying to figure out, is this God stuff right? That's what chapter 13 is in there. And chapter 14, then he lays down guidelines for a public service. And in the middle of this, he talks about, he's differentiating between the public service and his private life, and so he talks about private praying in the Spirit. So look at chapter 14, verses 12 to 19. Read kind of a long section here. We're just jumping in the middle of him talking about how, it, how it spiritual gifts should operate in a public service. It says, so also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. He said that's the goal of spiritual gifts. Edification means building up. So the building up of the church. It's not for your personal benefit. It's for the church's corporate personal benefit. Verse 13. Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind. Also, I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen? Otherwise, the person doesn't know what's going on yet, probably not even a believer yet. How can they say amen, I agree with you, at your giving of thanks since he does not know what is being said? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. Verse verse 18. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now let's remember. Paul's primarily addressing excess in a public worship service. But as he does, he gives insight into private prayer in the Spirit. And he says that in private, he speaks in tongues more than you all. Another way of saying that is he prays in the Spirit more than all the people he's addressing. He said, this is a regular, normal, constant part of my spiritual life. He prays in the Spirit. He prays in in spiritual language, in tongues. In verse 14... 
He says when he's praying in a, when praying in a tongue, his spirit prays, but not his mind. Because somebody could say, well, that's just a reference to spirit-led prayer. No, it's not. Because he shows it. Look at he makes a differentiation. I will pray with my spirit, and I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, and I will also sing um, with my mind. So he's making a differentiation between praying with his mind, which is spirit-led prayer, and praying in the spirit, or the spirit praying through him. Praying with a tongue, his spirit prays, but not his mind. So it's the spirit praying through him. And he concludes that he will do both. That he will pray with his mind, and he will pray with the spirit, in verse 15. In other words, he'll pray in spiritual language. And here's the point. Paul is telling us that there is great value in, in, in Ephesians, back to in, in Corinthians and Ephesians, Paul is telling us that there is great value in private prayer in the Spirit. That as a child of God, you can ask for and allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you in spiritual language. That the Spirit who indwells you will pray through you. And I was with Jack Hayford one time, and he refers back to Romans 8. And he believes that's what Romans 8 is referencing, where it says the Spirit will pray with groans too deep for utterance. He thinks that's a reference directly. He goes, what else could it mean? He goes, it's a reference to praying in the Spirit, what the Spirit praying through you. So the Spirit directing your Spirit's praying, the Spirit's directing your prayer, and the Spirit's praying through you. Now, I know that sometimes people get all freaked out by this topic. Somebody might be in this room right now and going, yeah, them crazy people. Let me ask you a question. Did you see one crazy thing in here today? Zippo. We can be spirit-filled and not be weird. And I know at times people get all freaked out about this, generally because of misinformation or a couple of people who messed it up for everybody else. A couple of people who don't listen to what Paul says and they get crazy and excessive and they, and they care more about themselves and their expression than they do about the effect on the church and other people. And so they say, i got a right to do what I want to do and they do it and they, and they make everybody else uncomfortable but they can hide it in saying, but I'm more spiritual. That's exactly what Paul was dealing with in the Corinthian church. And he comes as a strong apostle and he says, that's wrong, you can be spirit-filled and not be weird. And that's what this is dealing with. So I know this freaks out some people by this topic. But just because you're a little uncomfortable with the topic, um, you're not uncomfortable with the topic because I'm bringing it up. I'm just simply reading scripture to you. And so just because a person can be a little freaked out by this, by something, does not mean we should ignore it or dismiss it. Clearly scripture says that praying in the spirit is proper and beneficial. That's what Paul's talking about here. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians. And therefore it's something that should be desired and practiced. You know, um, verse 1 of chapter 14 says that we should earnestly desire spiritual gifts. What else does it say in the scripture should earnestly desire? Not many other things. What should you earnestly desire? It means actively pursue spiritual gifts. He's saying that's normative Christianity. So here's my challenge to all of us, to you in particular, if you think this is something that you're uncomfortable with. Ask the Holy Spirit to pray through you as you are in times of prayer. Be open to the Holy Spirit's desire to pray through you so that he can pray the perfect will of God through you. And if Hayford's right, he draws a reference to Romans 8, with groans too deep for utterance, or as Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 14, in praying in tongues and, and praying with the mind and in the Spirit, 
that the Spirit can pray through you? So just, be, just say, say to the Lord, I want all I can have. And Lord, I want all of you I've got, that you make available, and I want all the life and the Spirit I can have. I don't want to be weird, but I want to be, I want to be full. And I believe God will, will do it. Now let's move on to our final point. If you've got questions about that, make an appointment with me, come and talk. We'll talk about what the Bible says. Not what maybe somebody says to you that, that doesn't know anything about what they're talking about. You know what I love about people when they know nothing about church? They'll say this to me. Well, I think this. I'm not good at biting my tongue. I, I'm better the older I get, but I'm, I, I'm usually, I, I usually say something like, I don't really care what you think. What's the Bible say? And that's not unloving. As a matter of fact, it's, it's incredibly loving to say you can't live in the delusion of what you think if what you think is not in line with what God says. What God says is pray in the Spirit. Pray at all times. Pray in the Spirit. And let's look at the last one. It says we should pray for particular people. So look back at Ephesians chapter 6. Back at 18 and 19. With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Now what's he mean when he says saints there? Rank and file Christians, that's what he's talking about. That's how Paul uses the word saints throughout the New Testament in all of his writings. He's writing to rank and file Christians in the church. So he's not saying super saints, he's saying saints. Rank and file Christians. Pray for all the saints, 19, and pray on my behalf. So Paul's saying, pray for me, for him. Pray on my behalf for a reason, that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. So, Paul says to pray for all the saints, and he asks for the church to pray for him for a purpose, so that he can preach the gospel to those who don't yet know the mystery of Jesus as Savior. That's what he's talking about. And this shows to me two groups of people that he says we need to pray for. Saints and salvations. Saints and salvations. Easy for you to remember that way. As we live in an awareness of God's presence, which is continually interacting with him, which is praying at all times, and we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us in prayer and, and to actually pray through us, praying in the Spirit, we will be led to pray for saints and those who yet have found Jesus for salvation. And here is my suggestion to each person in this room, to every person in this room. Set aside some time for prayer in the next few days, maybe today. Take a pen and a notebook, or you're going to have to find something, I'm going to offer something in a couple minutes, and ask the Lord to show you, the Holy Spirit's in you, He can speak to you, Ask him to show you who you should have on your prayer list. What Christians, those are saints, what Christians, what pastors and friends and family members, Paul's a minister saying, please pray for me. I'm a minister saying, please pray for me. And what people should you add on there who don't yet know Jesus that God can use you strategically to pray for and possibly minister into their lives, to be part of the, of the activity of the Spirit to lead them into a relationship with Jesus. Write them down and pray through that list regularly. Now let me 
end by saying the importance of this by telling you a little story. And I think the story has merit to it. Very brief story. We had Movie in the Park recently. What went on at Movie in the Park related to me? I was sick in bed. Okay? Movie in the Park, outreach to the church, I'm sick in bed. Uh, We went to Moldova a couple years ago on a missions trip. Before we even got off the plane, I was getting sick. By the time we got to the hotel room, I was the sickest I've ever been in my life on a missions trip in Moldova. And then this last year, we were asked to do what I think is the most strategic missions um, trip I've been part of, and I don't that I've ever known anybody to be part of, ministering to a bunch of people who are missionaries and families who live in the hardest place where the gospel is not, trying to encourage them to make it another six months without quitting. And I got sick and ended up in a hospital for a week. So the other day, Josh is talking to Suzanne, and I wasn't there, she told me it later, And Josh asked a question, and I think he hit the nail on the head. He said, what old saint died and stopped praying for dad? He said, who stopped praying for dad? He said, dad is sick every time we do an outreach. Every time we got some ministry that's a a big ministry deal, dad's sick. And you don't know how many times I'm sick involved in things that are going on that we have to do that I just push through it and get sick. Enough that my nurses, my nurse wife and my nurse son are like, you've got to have something wrong with you. Doctors look and say, there's nothing wrong with you. Here's the point. I think they might be right. Now, this is not about Mark. This is to make a point for the text. Um, we need to pray for each other. The war is real. Your pastors need your prayers. We do. Paul was not ashamed to say, would you please pray for me? And neither am I. The war is real. You know, I was asked this year to go back to Germany, Suzanne and I, and we chose not to go. One of the reasons saying, man, I'm not sure I should. Suzanne said, there's not been enough water under the bridge yet. You almost died last time. I'm not comfortable with you going. Somebody else said to me, I don't think you should go on more missions trip, Pastor. And I'm like, that's not, that's not an option. That's not an option in my book. What has to happen is we need to pray. I really believe that. And so your pastors need your prayers. Your lost family and friends need your prayers. Your saint family and friends need your prayers. Paul is trying to say prayer is that important. And I don't believe as a church culture we believe that's true. We work harder instead of pray more. And, and I'm as guilty of it as you are. And so I want to end today by giving you a chance to hear the Spirit's voice leading you to make a prayer list. And the worship team is going to come up here or someone's going to come up here for worship and they're going to play. Not going to be any hype, no nothing else. You can pray about other things if you want. But in your bulletin, you all got one of these, right? And you notice it's different on both sides. One side says prayer list, Ephesians 6, 18 and 20, saints. You ask the Lord what people that are believers you need to put on that list. Now there's, I think, seven or eight spots. You might put more on there. But, but put them on there. Write their names. And then on the other side, you ask the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to show you what people are in your sphere of influence 
Because here's the deal. I taught an evangelism class. I teach evangelism for our district. So Friday and Saturday I was teaching all kinds of people being it's for credentials, people becoming ministers. So I teach a class Friday and most of the day yesterday. And um, what I find in the group in the salvation class when I teach the topic of, salva- of, of evangelism is they all want to go out and do street witnessing. Well, that's fine. I said, but you know what the numbers tell us? That almost everybody who comes to Christ comes to Christ when they're a child and is directly influenced by a friend or family member. That almost no one who comes to Christ comes to Christ because through a, through a stranger. It's like a couple percent. But almost everybody come to Christ because of friends and family members. And neighbors, you know, that's your friends, your coworkers. They get to know you. Relationship's important. And relationship's more important even now than it used to be because they don't know, societally, we don't know what we believe about God. They've got to trust somebody before they listen. And so there are people in your sphere of influence that God wants to lay on your heart so that you will just on a regular basis pray for them. And so here's my, here's my desire for you. You can do it this morning or give you some time or you can do it later. Take this card, and there's some more on the Connection Center if you don't have one. Um, you can do it on a piece of paper too. And write down people that the Lord lays on your heart who need to come to know him. And write down people who are Christians that you're going to commit to on a regular basis praying for. And the reason we made it like a bookmarker, here's one of the things I don't like about everybody using phones for the Bible. I'm serious. I thought about it when I made this. I'm like, ah, I'm going to give you a bookmarker and you're going to go like this on my phone. How am I going to stick it in my phone? But take it. Stick it in your Bible as a bookmark. Or, and, and maybe, so we're going to get to James in a couple of weeks. Stick it in the book of James so every time we go to the book of James you're reminded who to pray for. Or take this bookmarker and set it next to your bed on your nightstand. Or put it, you know, on your refrigerator. Everybody always makes the joke when you go to the refrigerator more than anywhere else. Well, Maybe that's, maybe that's the right time, maybe it's wrong. I think put it on your, maybe put it on your bathroom mirror so that every morning you remember it when you brush your teeth. And ask the Lord to intervene and ask the Lord to highlight any of the people on your list that says, you know what? I think I really got to pray for Pastor Mark today. I got a call, Suzanne, or rather I got an email from a family from Michigan yesterday, day before. Day before yesterday and said, they haven't, I don't think they've ever done this. We, first two people who got saved in a church we planted in Michigan. 1991. Called, sent her and said, what is going on with you guys? God woke us up and had us pray for you. That was two days ago. And so the Lord will remind you, maybe some old saint died and God's trying to require, recruit some more ones because I need prayer. And you need prayer. But here's the deal. We want to weird this stuff out. We want to make it hyper-spiritual. It's not hyper-spiritual. The Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit's praying for us. We read that in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit wants to pray through us, and the Holy Spirit wants to lead us in prayer. You think that maybe prayer is important? Scripture points out all these activities of the Spirit in prayer. And so as He dwells in us, He wants to fulfill His purpose for us. It's to lead us as, into praying people. So what an what a easy way to, to, to engage in prayer strategically according to what's effective for spiritual warfare is to write the saints and the salvations, put this somewhere and regularly just lift these people up to the Lord so that they so that, that ask the Lord to just do whatever He needs to do in their lives. Ask the Spirit to direct you on how to pray for them. That makes sense, right? 
So let's close in prayer. Then I encourage you, spend some time with the Lord. When you feel dismissed by the Holy Spirit, you can make your way out of the sanctuary. Have a wonderful day in Jesus. Take some time, though, to fill out that card sometime. But just don't do it in a hurry. Let the Spirit speak to you. If this isn't the time because you've got to get somewhere, then do it another time. But let's let the Lord lead us in prayer so effective ministry can happen. So Jesus, we thank you that you're here with us today. That you love us. You said you would go with us. You sent us to the Great Commission, go into all the world and make disciples. And you said something about that. You said you would be with us always, even to the end of the age. And so you're with us here today. I believe you're speaking to hearts. I believe you've you've ministered to hearts already in this place today as we've worshipped and as we've looked into your word and as we've prayed for one another. And Lord, we would ask now, would you guide and direct us so that we would pray effectively? And Lord, here's my, I ask for a gift for every person that will be willing to, to put some energy into this. That when they make that list of people that under the salvation column, that, Lord, you would direct them in such a way they would put them on a list in a certain order that they would actually see the people on their list coming to know you in order as an evidence to you, to them that you are engaged in what's going on. Lord, that's a big request. But that's my... I ask for that gift. That you would guide us to put names on that list in order. And it's because you are working in the lives of those people and you know where they're at with you. And some of them are right at the brink of understanding their need of you. And we ask you to, 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 to guide us so that we can pray effectively. Help us to experience your reality in, in prayer as we learn to just be with you and sit with you and listen more than talk.